This is Gareth Southgate, and this is the Three Lions Podcast. Welcome to the Three Lions Podcast. My name is Russell Osborne and this is an independent England football supporters podcast. And here we are. We've come to the end of another year. One for many of us that has been the most successful one we've witnessed. Although on the other hand, maybe one of the most disappointing. Being so close, but missing out on spot kicks. I'm sure we'll cover that, I'm sure, in due course. Uh, But from a podcast perspective, over the year, this is the 54th episode, uh, which surprised me. Obviously helped by the glut during the summer, but I have been lucky enough to speak with many people about their enjoyment of following England. Uh, I started the series looking at former England managers. We had Walter Winterbottom, Alf Ramsey and Don Revy. I'm pleased to say that that series will continue into 2022. I spoke with former England physio, Alan Smith. There were loads of England fans. Uh, We also spoke with John Hemingham from the England band. There was Tango. There was Bisto. uh, There was that two-parter with Brian Wright. uh, And we also spoke Wembeerly with Kevin Masters from Block 109. And all those episodes and all the others can be found at threelionspodcast.com or your usual podcast provider. But uh, seeing as you're listening to this, you already know that. Now, it's been a year where I've been regularly joined by England bloggers, England writers, if you will. Uh, we've had Dom Smith from englandfootball.org, Matt Asprey, who writes at mattasprysport.wordpress.com, and Aidan Smith from threelions.net. And I am super pleased to say that they are all back to have a look over the year with me. Welcome along, Dom. Welcome along, Aidan. Welcome along, Matt. Uh, we're well? Yeah, we're well, all right. Cool. Very good, thank you. <laughs> now, a year, 2021, it was a, a year that started off behind closed doors. It was a year that was bookended by San Marino. 19 games throughout 2021, two friendlies, seven Euro 2020 matches, 10 World Cup qualifiers. There's loads of stats that we can kind of throw in throughout this chat. Yeah, let's highlight of the year. Let, let's go with that to start with. Uh, let's go, Dom. Let's let's um, go on, give us your highlight of the year. I think it would be um, it questionable, questionable of me if I didn't choose the Luke Shaw goal in the yeah. first two minutes of the final. It's it's such a momentous day leading up to that. It was a momentous sort of four or five days leading up to that, knowing that we'd kind of scraped past Denmark, who aren't a, a, a significant force historically in football, but at the moment they're very, very good. Kasper Hulman's done a great job with them. And so to, to beat them and, and make the final, I think a lot of us felt we were dreaming. You know, it's the kind of thing that you you, you kind of plot out your life in England failings and and you never really expect that you're going to be able to see England in a, in a final. And, and we knew we were about to. So um, incredibly exciting. Looking forward to that. Um, you then get settled. And before you've taken your seat, you, you go one nil up. It's a, 
it, it was so exciting. It, you felt like you were dreaming. And because of how early in the game it was, you know, t- teams just don't score that early into big games. It just doesn't happen. No one does that, let alone England, after all the times they've kind of pulled on your heartstrings and disappointed you and let you down um, like an unfaithful partner almost. <laughs> so the idea that they would score two minutes into the game, um, I think it. I think it let a lot of people feel that they were that they were dreaming and that actually there was some kind of divine script that was about to bring home the European Championships for England. Alas, it wasn't true <laughs> that there was a divine script um, and it wasn't true that England were about to win the Euros. But for a good long while in that final, um, there, was the, there was the hope and the perhaps the expectation that actually that goal was going to be enough. And what a goal it was as well. Oh. Incredible, incredible counter-attacking goal. And, um, you know, Harry Kane has been, just just to unpick the goal a little bit, Harry Kane, of course, gets um, kind of questioned in terms of him, him dropping deep for England and for Tottenham. And I think that's fair. He is a striker. He's a focal point number nine, a true, a true striker. And sometimes he isn't in the box when he needs to be. But anyone who think, who wonders why he drops deep, you know, only needs to look at that goal. You know, Luke Shaw picked it up in the left-back spot, played it to him. And if it wasn't for his forward thinking and ability to pick out Trippier, who was the man over on the right, England wouldn't have scored that goal and the final may have gone even worse for them. So that's the highlight of the year because for a few moments at least, well, more than a few moments, for for a number of minutes, (laughs) it felt felt like it was going to be the most influential goal you've ever seen in your life and perhaps the most influential you ever do see. No, it's an amazing moment. Um, I'll I'll talk about that as as the... uh, as this episode goes on. But the one thing that I remember thinking shortly after that had gone in and probably like a few minutes, once, once everyone had settled down a bit, I kind of thought back to when I used to watch cup finals with my granddad and we'd watch them at home. And it was like a tradition we always, we always um, used to do. And he always used to say to me, whoever scores in a cup final first never wins the final. And sort of five minutes after that goal, that thought just sort of dropped into my mind. And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> anyway, no, good one to start us off with. Uh, Aidan. Yeah, I was I was going to try and think of something really clever to say here. But to be quite honest, I don't think um, I don't think anyone's going to argue if I say the final, just even even just getting to the final. Yeah. Um, after everything that this country's been through in terms of uh, in terms of footballing success or lack of footballing success over the years it just felt like we, we you know we we couldn't not do it in the end we, we we had to having gone so far having done so well in Russia as well and the fashion in, in, you know in which we did it as well I, I also you know often watch England at tournaments and you and you get to if we even get out of the group uh obviously we can't take that as a as a given these days but you know if we get out of the group we often look like a spent force by the knockout stages you know, we, we didn't have the group stage that, you know, anyone really wanted, but we got through it unscathed. You know, we hadn't conceded a goal. We went on to not concede a goal in, in the next two knockout games as well. And we and we scored six, got past Germany as well, which, you know, finally beating a, a major nation in a, in a tournament for the first time since 2000. And, uh, Argentina, I think it was in 2000 or, you know, one of the tournaments around there, 98 or 2000 2002, or wasn't it? Yeah. 2002, that was it. Yeah. With uh, Beckham's penalty. Yeah. So, you know, the, f- the fact that we were able to get over that, you know, those final few hurdles, which, um, which we, we previously haven't, I always get so frustrated when I watch England and, and, and I, you know, I look at, 
okay, we were the better team for this period of the game and, oh, why couldn't we capitalise or anything like that? And we always look at that when we go out. And I'm sure other teams do, but it's always felt, as you know, it never it never falls England's way. And it did. And um, it just felt, you know, like Dom said, like we were dreaming for a while because it just didn't feel like we'd really experienced that much of a a, a challenge, as you know, as much as you expect to in a, in a major tournament. So, yeah, that, that would certainly be my highlight. Yeah, and certainly being on home soil as well gave us that sort of opportunity to to feel what it's like for a home nation to to have it on on your front doorstep I think as well uh Matt Gorning what what's your highlight of the year well it'd be no surprise mine is um Euros related again but it's going to be going straight back to the start of the campaign actually that game with Croatia because um We'd all been starved of going to watch a live England game or shall watching them for most of the first half of uh, this year. But then that game against Croatia, I don't remember the, really the game that much. I remember the goal. It wasn't a standout performance, but I just remember the weather. It was beaming hot sun and, you know, two o'clock kickoff on a Sunday. It felt like proper old school. And, uh, you know, I was seeing people that I've been travelling with and unseen for nearly a year. And it was just all the occasion of it, really. Obviously, getting to the final and that was great. But whenever I look back on the Euros campaign now, I do always think about that red hot June Sunday afternoon where, you know, it was quite uncomfortable actually to be in the crowd that day. But, you know, we kicked off the campaign with a bang. There was a real buzz in the air. And uh, yeah, it was my heart just seeing, just going to a game again, and but for a tournament as well. So yeah, it's that Croatia game in the sun. Raheem still over the scoring. And then that kicked off what was, what I've said to many people now is one of the best summers of my life. Yeah, I know what you mean. That sort of anticipation of, of the tournament coming round, that, that Croatia game, the first one. Uh, we'd had the, a couple of friendlies before that, hadn't we? We had Austria and Romania up at Middlesbrough to sort of wet our appetites a bit. Uh, but yeah, I remember they, that sun was blistering that day for Croatia. I know what you mean. And the amount of people I saw come away with sunburn after being on the, uh, the lower tier that day, like massive red foreheads. But yeah, I, I think my highlight of the year, I mean, they're all sort of Euros related as, as they will be. But with the whole tournament being delayed by a year, it was like we all we were all champing at the bit for it to finally come round. And when it did, we're, we're all really excited for it. But I think one of the, in a strange way, a highlight for me was coming away from Wembley after the Denmark game because it was like, actually, we've done it. I've finally seen us win a semi-final and I now know the feeling of us being in a final. Obviously, it wouldn't, wouldn't go our way, as we all well know. And it was like, I wasn't the only one feeling that for the first time there were people at home watching it on the telly there were people abroad supporting England watching it on the telly there were people walking aside me going down Wembley Way going back to the train station all sort of feeling that same sort of wow we've done it we've finally made it to a final I remember coming out walking with uh, with a couple of friends back to the uh, back to the station and and it was almost like we we had everything to say to each other, but we didn't know how to sort of say it other than, wow, we're, we're in a final. Um, so, yeah, kind of that weight and anticipation was over, a bit of disbelief as well. Yeah, so I think that might be, in a strange way, one of my 
sort of highlights of the year, just sort of a, that feeling, um, which was a good feeling to uh, to obviously have. It was a a year, obviously, what, that saw us get to the the finals. A year where we played nineteen, won fifteen, drew four, lost none. Technically, um, we didn't lose a game all year. Okay, we we lost a penalty shootout. A year where we scored fifty two goals and only conceded five. Plenty of goal scorers throughout the year and plenty of great players. Which moves us on to your England Player of the Year, which is, uh, do you know, I, I don't know if anyone has come up with this. One. I don't even know how many players were used this year. But Matt, go on, do you want us to start off? Who who was your Player of the Year? I'm going to go for Calvin Phillips in midfield because when he came into the team at first, I don't know what I was expecting. Obviously, Quite often, England's midfield was getting criticised for being too, um, you know, defensive or, you know, they're not very a team which is they're not a partnership which will push forward. But then when Calvin Phillips came in and that Croatia game, I'm going to hark back to that game again. Um, I was with a few Leeds fans who follow Leeds all over the place, and they were really buzzing. I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm excited too, but I don't get why you guys are, you know, getting really excited over it. And then it clicks then in that game. I mean, his range of passing is just unbelievable. It's something that I think is a lot of people sometimes forget about if they don't watch England or Leeds regularly or watch Calvin Phillips play regularly. And he just became a mainstay in that midfield. And it's got to the stage for now where he's so crucial in this England team is that you know when he's not in it. Because I feel like now the midfield can get a bit just, it can get a bit congested. Nothing's really going on. The ball's not being moved forward. So, yeah, it's Calvin Phillips. Obviously, he got the uh, the award as well, the official uh, England Player of the Year awards, and it was thoroughly deserved. I mean, you saw the look on his face when Deptford Rice gave it him, who was his partner in crime in midfield. And uh, Calvin Phillips couldn't believe it, but, you know, he fully deserved that award. And I, I think this Euros and, you know, everything around it, he really cemented his place to the team and hopefully... It could be a major part in Qatar and hopefully a few more tournaments to come. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to just jump in there as well because I'd gone for Calvin Phillips as well. And what, everything you said there was sort of like exactly what I was thinking. Although I must admit, it, for me, it was, I looked at Calvin Phillips and, and I thought the way that he sort of combined with Declan Rice. And I then thought, actually, do I think Declan Rice has is a contender, surely a contender. But I think for me that what you said there, Calvin Phillips, when he when he came into it and everyone was thinking, really, is, is he is he England standard? Um, and came in and, and just pulled all the strings in that Croatia game. But him and, and Declan Rice just worked so well together in tandem. And I think with Calvin Phillips as well, I can't remember what games it was towards the end of the World Cup qualifying campaign, um, that he was injured for, or yeah, what he was injured, I think, rather than suspended. Um, I think it was such a, a noticeable thing that he that he wasn't in the team. So yeah, I'm I'm gonna go with you there and and go with Calvin Phillips and and probably the obviously as you say, as he won the the England player of the year, along with a a lot of other people who who think the same thing. Yeah, Aiden, go on, throw us your player into the mix. Oh, it's just tricky. Uh, there's, there's just so many, aren't there? I think, I think there's, you know, obviously the obvious choices, you know, Raheem Sterling or Jordan Pickford, but 
I'm going to go for someone who might, I don't know, you probably won't expect, but I'm going to go, I'm going to go for John Stones, not because I think he's been England's best player of the year, but because I think the year that he's had and the fact that he's been able to get himself to where he is and where he, where he has been all year is probably a bigger factor to England doing so well this year than people might appreciate. You know, I think back to when he, we all remember his calamity against Holland in the Nations League semi-final and then he didn't play for, for the rest of the calendar year in 2019. And Gareth Southgate was saying, you know, you, John Stones has got to play to the standard of the rest of my defenders before I call him up again. And even even in, you know, so for the rest of that qualifying campaign, we were thinking, oh, goodness me, because at that time we thought, you know, the, the Euros were still going to be in 2020. We're going to have to play Mings, Maguire and Fakayo Tomori, who's got, what, like seven minutes of England game time. Uh, and we're going to have to play him in six months time. You know, are we going to have to go to a back three? Well, we did try that after COVID in uh, in autumn last year. We tried a back three. And, that, and the reason being, one of the main reasons is because John Stones was not at the standard. And really, we had one centre-back as uh, you know, a, a world-beating centre-back, you know, a, a titan at the back, and that was Harry Maguire. So we tried to kind of work around that, and we went to a back three. We had Connor Cody come in. Uh, we had Eric Dyer for a little bit. But I think the fact that John Stones was able to come into form at a similar sort of time to, to, to when Luke Shaw was able to really start playing for Manchester United, Luke Shaw got into the city side, and it was at the beginning of, of this calendar year. And I think when you look at the year, I really seriously don't think we would have got to the final of Euro 2020 had John Stones not been where he was. Again, you know, I'm not saying he's the best player, but the fact that we were able to go into that tournament with two centre-backs on the top of their game and Mings had to play, you know, the first two games and he was absolutely fantastic. And then Maguire came back in and he got man of the match. But John Stones throughout that whole thing, I think he was almost an unsung hero for the tournament. And so I'm going to go for, you know, he's kept it uh, after the tournament as well. And Southgate's now using him in some of these easier games alongside new centre-backs who are coming up. So Tamori's getting game time against Andorra. We'll, we'll put him alongside John Stones then. And, and it's just it's just great to see John Stones flourishing now and, and, and taking a bit of responsibility and, and growing into a bit more of a leader at the back. That's really good. Didn't Wasn't there a game earlier on in the season where he... Did he score and, or give a goal away and, and score... Was that Poland at home or was that Harry Maguire where he scored? I can't think now. Yeah, so, Harry Maguire, I think. Was it? I, it well, I, he, he, I think he atoned for an error giving a goal away by assisting Harry Maguire quite well. So I think that's what it was. That's it. That's what I'm thinking of. Yeah, John Stones, that's, I think I understand what you're saying, um, Aidan, about like the, the, um, the process throughout the Euros. Um, yeah, no, interesting one. I didn't see that one coming. Uh, Dom? Yeah, I've gone for a different player again. And I think that in itself is a compliment to England, who I think have played as a team this year, rather than as uh, individuals peaking at different moments. And and I, I haven't gone for Harry Kane and, and no one else has. And I think that's a compliment as well, because I think the previous best highest number of, of goals that any player had scored in a single calendar year before this year for England was, was 12 or 13. And Harry Kane is just year with 16 England goals. Quite against San Marino, but that's not his fault. So I'm going to go with Raheem Sterling. Um, I, I find it difficult to give it to anyone else. I think England did a lot of kind of one nilling teams in the Euros, and um, and I think that frustrated people until we got to the stage where we were in a semi final or or a final. 
I think until the real latter stages, that was frustrating people. They weren't seeing England run teams ragged. They weren't seeing three nils or four nils apart from Ukraine, which was perhaps an anomaly if you look back. But 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 for a lot of the tournament, it was it was quite pragmatic. I don't I didn't mind that because I think that's exactly what England had not been able to do in previous years. Look at Germany, who, who historically win every tournament game one nil or two nil. But the point is they win them. We don't win games. And that's a problem. So I didn't mind the fact that England were pragmatic. And that meant at the tournament that the players were playing quite fixed in their position. They were doing their job, nothing more, nothing less. And every time it was enough to beat the opponent. With the exception of Sterling, who I think was absolutely excellent in almost every game and was our real risk taker. You know, before the tournament, people were liking the whole Foden, Mount, uh, Grealish uh, debate. Who's going to start? Can you squeeze them all into a team? Which one of them is going to be the one to kind of dazzle at the tournament and and be that Gascoigne kind of skulls figure who, you know, does a bit of magic, maybe doesn't stick to a fixed position and does that creative sparkle? Well, Sterling was ended up being that player, in my opinion. You know, he, he started on, on on the wing for, for for most of the tournament, but he drifted inside. And most, most the most important thing about it was that he was really brave. England have got wide players who don't try and beat their man or their marker, like Rashford in recent years. I would say, sadly, falls into that category. They've got wide players who try and beat their man and don't always manage it. Sancho, I would say, counts as that. But Sterling, with you know, without exception. He takes the ball and he runs past people. And not only does he try and do it every time, which I think is brave in itself, because you know if, if you try that three times and it doesn't come off, you get substituted in this day and age. Not only does he try it, but he manages it every time. And I think he was England's greatest player at the European Championships. And he played well before the Euros in March and he played well after the Euros. He scored that really, that really good goal in Budapest, of course, as well. So I think he deserves it because he was the bravery and the excitement that guided England to the Euros above anyone else. And I think without him, especially in the group stage, but, you know, don't just be blindsided by the goals. You know, without him, I think England would have been, you know, wouldn't have got anywhere near as deep into that tournament as they did. It's similar to what Aidan says about Stones. So I have to go with Sterling. I think he was absolutely fantastic this year. Yeah. Was that was it three goals in, in the Euros? Croatia, Czech Republic, and the, the opener against Germany. Yeah, Raheem yeah. Sterling. We're recording this before the before the BBC Sports Personality of the Year, of which he's been put up for for that. Um so yeah, well we'll we'll see. We'll see how well he does in that one. Five goals he scored throughout the, the year, kicked off with a goal against San Marino. He got the three in the Euros and, and as you mentioned, one. Uh, against Hungary. I also mentioned Harry Kane. You mentioned Harry Kane there, scored 16 goals throughout the year, which was a record. 52 England goals throughout this calendar year from January to, uh, no, it would have been from March to November, wouldn't it, in those 19 games? 52 goals. Yeah, 52 goals. I think there was one own goal, I think. Um, And that was against Denmark. Correct. Yeah, it would have been. You know, you know, the next best. Oh, we had one against San Marino as well in the 10 nil. Ah, um, yes. But you know, you know, the, the second best after 52 that we've ever had in the calendar year Go is on. rubbish in, in, in comparison. <laughs> Got to be fair. Uh, 38, which was in 2019 when we blitzed Euro 2020 qualification for the tournament. So, oh, yeah, wow. all, all in recent times, to be fair. I mean, that just goes to show 52, an extra, what do you say, it was 32? 
we scored back 38. then. 38. 38. So, uh, 14 more 14 goals? more, yeah. It's a lot That's, of goals, isn't it? That is. Well, if we hadn't have had Harry Kane scoring 16 this year, we wouldn't have done it, maybe. <laughs> uh, well, go on. That brings us on to our goal of the year. 52 to choose from. Aidan, go on. You start us off with this one. What was your goal of the year? Well, I was about to go for the Jordan Henderson goal against Ukraine, um, just because of the fact that it was his first goal and, it, you know, you could see how much it meant to him when he punched the air. Um, but no, I, I've just changed just now. I'm going to go for uh, <laughs> I'm going to go for the first goal against Germany in the round of 16, the Raheem Sterling goal. Not because I thought it was, you know, an insane goal or anything like that. I think there were a few that you could pick out that were probably better than it this year, but because of what it kind of represented for for the year and for for where we are with this team now. In terms of, you know, getting that first goal, it, it sort of looked like it was going to go as a nil-nil to extra time, possibly even all the way to penalties. It looked like that kind of a dreadful kind of, oh no, here we go again, um, like we had against Italy in 2012. And, you know, we've had so many times before, but um, to get that second half goal, that first goal and, and, and go ahead with just 15 minutes to go, that in itself was almost breaking down a, a barrier that that maybe is you can't really put into a stat. But um, but then also you know the whole thing about beating major nations and winning knockout games and all of these things that we were doing, and then also the fact that okay, well you know we we kind of broke down those barriers in 2018. But what we didn't do in 2018 is score enough goals from open play, and we were very reliant. Nine of the 12 goals at uh, the World Cup in Russia in 2018 were set piece goals set piece routines or you know direct from a set piece or anything like that so to be able to not just get an open play goal but actually to be quite honest carve germany open with that goal was something that that probably stood out for me in my mind that's probably why i'm picking it because that that just shows so much progress under this team and you know you almost when we, when we've conceded goals to major nations in the past you almost don't think about it if it's a if it's you know a, really great routine that we just got nowhere near as our defenders and you just think oh, okay yeah yeah they scored a really good goal there but you don't quite appreciate how difficult that is to do in the big games you know you've got to put so much emphasis on being near enough perfect defensively against these major nations otherwise you get picked apart and sometimes what you forget to do is focus on okay how can we take the game to them how can we expose their weaknesses and you know often you are reliant on set pieces in these big games that's why we see so many so many corner routines or free kick goals in in semi-finals and finals but to be able to carve germany open like we did like sterling picking the ball up there and just running straight at rudiger and getting past him and then getting past i think it was gerson's as well and then he knocked it out out wide to luke shaw who by the way had a fantastic tournament even if you take away the goal even before then um had a really good tournament coming forward for england and you know zip zip that ball back in and this was all at the time that Jack Grealish had come on and sort of made that difference. Saka had started the game off really nicely for England. Um, no one really expected him to start. And then Grealish, everyone everyone was you know cheering when he got warmed up. He came on and sort of changed changed the momentum a little bit for England. And it's that goal really that stands out for me. And Sterling, you know, keeping on the Sterling theme, like like Don was saying, um, had a fantastic tournament as well. That was his third goal of the tournament. He was by that point. He was the only player to have scored in the in the in the four games that we had uh, <laughs> until Harry Kane knocked in the second one ten minutes later. But yeah, it's that it's that goal that stands out for me. Just the way we carved Germany open and 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 the progress that that shows um, under Southgate. Yeah, no, I mean I've I've got a list here of of the goals that 
I, I thought were great. And that's certainly there. And I, when I watched it back the other day, the interplay that went into, as you described there, to, to Sterling to score that goal was, I probably didn't appreciate it at the time because it was just running on adrenaline. It's when you sort of watch it back again in like, wow, actually, yeah, the way that that was, that was played about and, and how we carved Germany apart to get that opening goal. Yeah, the, the feelings behind the goal that day for me were were great. Yeah. Dom, go on, let's move on to you. I feel like, I can't believe I'm saying this, but 52 goals. I can't really think of any that were kind of world, world-class goals. But, I, I mean, you don't really see that many world-class goals in football anymore now anyway, because people just tap it on a plate for you, don't they? Um, I mean, that's how Man City are so good. But yeah, I would say the best goal, and I'm purely going to go on, you know, what the goal looked like, not the importance of the game, clearly, when you when you hear my answer. But um, I think the Kane overhead kick against um, against Albania is my shout, because, I mean, if you're asking for the best goal, yeah, there were, there were some incredibly important goals. Um, I mean, probably the most important goal was his penalty against Denmark, which actually the goalkeeper saved. <laughs> so, um, yeah, some of our most important goals are maybe not the prettiest this year, but that's OK. Every goal counts and, we, you know, we deserved every one. But um, the Kane overhead kick to complete the hat-trick was a, an excellent goal against Albania in that 5-0 win. Of course, England were 5-0 up at half-time. Yeah, technically superb goal. Um, I think that the corner came in, it was knocked on. And uh, there he was to uh, to pounce on it. Slight deflection on it, I think, but it's probably going in anyway. So, um, you know, purely on the the style of the goal, I think I have to go for that. Yeah, that's another one in my list um, is that acrobatic effort. And there's some great photos of it, different angles of the way he connected with the ball. One thing with that, because we were, it was what, five and a half at half time, and that came almost bang on half time. One of my friends who was sitting there with, gone to the toilet just shortly before that went in but we were sitting we're sitting almost front second row of the upper tier so he had a few steps to go up and I didn't see him until I don't know just before the second half was about to kick off and the first thing I said to did you see that goal I mean it was obviously right up the other end of of the pitch to where we were sitting but I throughout half time I just kept thinking to myself I'd be gutted if I missed that if I missed that through just going to the toilet. Uh, but yeah, you've ticked off another on my list there. Matt, go on, tick another one off on my list. So the goal I would pick is from that Germany game. It's another Harry Campbell. It's it's the one to make it 2-0 because of just how much emotion and elation that created in the build to that game. Obviously, Harry Kane had been non-existent in the group matches. He was uh, getting a lot of criticism from the press, a lot of criticism from fans. Um, considering of how good he was in the World Cup in 2018, everyone was wondering where's his Harry Kane gone? Why is he not showing out? What is you know a bigger stage, you know, a home tournament where he's he's the captain, and and then you know obviously we won't want to look, and obviously there's still a lot of nerves when you want to look, especially international football, and when it being Germany as well, the tensions were heightened. But then when Kane scored ahead of of Greenish's cross. I've the bedlam when Luke Shaw scored in, in the final obviously was good, but when Kane scored the second against Germany, I've never seen anything like it. I'm pretty sure I ran up my row and back when he scored. We were all doing races to get the you know up the rows and things, and you just saw how much it meant to him and the team on his face. It's just the emotion, and you felt after he scored it just 
something had just been lifted off him. You know, it was like, right, we've, yeah, it's basically he's got the goal now. And then, you know, he couldn't stop scoring. Then obviously had the Ukraine game. And obviously, you know, there was the penalty miss against Denmark, things like that. But it was just the emotion and the carnage in the stands. It was just, it, you know, when I just think about it now, I can replay it in my head. I can see it clear as day, you know, where I was sitting. Then as soon as I saw him go for it, head it in, it was just... You know, I've never seen elation like at a football game. It was just, and on the pitch as well. I mean, there's a, I think our WhatsApp group photo is, um, we'll go England with is of them all in a pile on after that goal and Harry Maguire like at the front, like, you know, giving it some. So, yeah, it's that goal against Germany because it just sealed the deal. It meant we broke a duck. And then also, it was just great to see Harry Kane actually start to enjoy himself at the Euros because the games before, it looked like he didn't. Like he wants to talk to you out as quick as possible. Yeah, you're right. And you, you say there that it was like something had been lifted from him. It it was almost like the monkey had been lifted from his back when he scored there because there was so much in the press and, and people were saying, oh, he needs to be dropped. He's not doing it. But obviously done that with, what, 10 minutes to go. And then three minutes in to the next game against Ukraine, he scored again. Um, and then... Did he get a hat trick that game? Was it three for him and one two? Was it um, Jordan Henderson got one and Maguire got the other? Maguire got the other. Yeah, not, another great goal and so that the emotion there on on that day. It would only just calm down after Sterling's goal, really, and then and then Kane went and done that. <sighs> with, with my guy, I mean, two of them have been picked off there. Um, I did. I thought Harry Kane. He had a diving header in the away game at Albania, which was was a, a smart little goal that he scored. Luke Shaw's obviously the the goal in the final, which has already been mentioned by Dom. I mean, Luke Shaw doesn't score many goals, but he just found himself in in that position. At the time, it meant everything, and it just didn't materialise. But I think just for that moment of of what it felt like to score in a final. We'll never know what it felt like for him, but it, it was just just a, a great moment for me. Yeah, so, yeah, four, four great goals there to pick through. Go on, Dom. I've heard, I've heard a couple of the England players on the pitch at the time talking about that goal afterwards. Right. And um, Kyle Walker did a, did a really long interview recently, um, possibly with BBC, and he said when he was running kind of after Luke Shaw, kind of following him um, like they all seem to be, he said, I remember thinking at the time, we're actually going to win this, aren't we? And it, I, I heard that and, you know, obviously I smiled a little bit and I was just, I don't know, I was brushing my teeth or something stupid. But it also is it's a bit sad to hear that, isn't it? Because it, make, it, it just reminds you just how close they were. You know, yeah. he, he he was wheeling away, following the other four back, and then he was thinking, you know, I'm actually going to win the Euros. And, you know, the fact that that didn't happen in the end and, and the, the way in which they lost that final, it's kind of uh, it's just agonising, isn't it? You'd rather be 7 0 wouldn't you? Well, I don't know. <laughs> oh, I'm not but, sure. Not in a final. You know what I mean, though? Yes. I mean, it, it must be crushing for those players, however we feel as... Um, yeah, as watchers on, I mean that, that that's tough for them, isn't it? Yeah, but it's it's the thing that drives them forward. It's it's what's going to hopefully drive them forward to to next yeah. year um, for the 
not just the World Cup, but like obviously qualification from the the Nations League as well. There's there's plenty going on next year, and you just you just hope that that disappointment. I mean, disappointment almost seems like not not the word. Um, that pain of losing in the final. I think I've I've read Harry Kane talking about it. That the pain is 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 incredibly high. That yeah. is just going to propel them on. And you hear about it in general league football as well, where teams lose out on a uh, yeah on the title or a major cup final um, and and wanting to go forward and and get what was so close to them. Um, yeah, well, let's let's round it up with just a a general look back on on the Euros. I'm not quite sure how much time we've got left, but um, yeah, the Euros, I mean, cliched as it is, it was a fabulous summer of, of football, really, wasn't it? I mean, not just from England. Um, okay, we we got to the final, we lost the final, but there was some good good all round football all round. I think. My only sort of major gripe would be, and it was one that I kind of always had, was the fact that it it was pan European, and I, and I know why they did it. Obviously, it was to celebrate its sixtieth year. Um, it was something that Platini, I think, wanted to do. Okay, fair enough, done it. But I'd like to think that we we won't see that again. I don't mind uh, two countries hosting it. Um, I think that can that can work, um, but pan European it it just didn't feel like a European Championships per se. Okay, we we had all of our games bar one at home, and and the only other thing that I that really frustrated me was just drawing with Scotland. It it was just such an anticlimax that when the draw was made, it was like oh we've got Scotland in the group, and everyone was harking back to to 96 and and just basically Scotland the old enemy and that game so, I mean Scotland obviously got a point out of it and came away quite happy but it, it just felt such an anticlimax that game go on Aidan throw us throw us some Euro memories in and, and any stats you want well it's, it's interesting you mentioned both those things because I was actually going to mention both those things actually um go on, no worries gone yeah well the, the Scotland game I think it's it, yeah. It, it was it was very frustrating watching it. And and look, I, I think I don't I don't want to be one of those people who who just jumps on the bandwagon of you know oh we we clearly got some sort of tactical error uh, because we didn't come away with more goals than they did. Uh, and it's so easy to do that. Um, and I think obviously you know when when you may not have given the performance that you wanted to give, but you still come away with the win. We don't tend to express those you know those regrets of oh why didn't we do this I think we should have played this player why didn't we play this system uh, you don't tend to do that because it's sort of you know all that goes out the window and we're on to the next one you know eyes on the next game but uh, you know it, it was frustrating because I, I was I was thinking before the game I was thinking you know okay that first game was great we just sort of needed to get that first game out of the way uh, you know get get that win and then really the tournament starts because that first game is almost in isolation, isn't it? Because we know our record with, with opening games. You just, okay, get that opening game, three points. As soon as you've got the three points, then let's focus on the tournament flow. And it just felt, okay, you've halted the tournament flow with a nil-nil with Scotland of all teams, you know, as well. I, I still think, still think we should have gone to a back five for that game and pressed a little bit higher against them. But, you know, it, A, it doesn't matter now um, in hindsight, <laughs> 
and you know b it's just one of those things everyone's everyone's going to jump on on the bandwagon and say something something clearly went wrong we didn't we didn't do what we should have done you know but uh, you know it, it it doesn't doesn't matter so much now and i remember back in 2016 you know germany um well everyone everyone was thinking of course germany world champions they're going to win the tournament aren't they in, in 2016 they're going to win it's either going to be germany or france and germany got out of the group in a similar way to what to to we did this year uh, you know no goals conceded but but they they'd had a a nil nil poland i think it was and i remember the the reactions of 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 the germany team after that they were furious with that draw and you look back now and you think on on their tournament as a whole and you think yeah but but it didn't really affect how far you got you still finished top of the group you would have finished top of the group if you won the game and then you went on to have a fantastic round of 16 and quarter final and then you know the semi final wasn't what you expected but you know it, it didn't really directly impact how far you got and i sort of feel the same with that scotland game so it's you know it's just one of those things i think you you know you can't have every game go your way if we'd have predicted each game in isolation from each other in that group stage before the tournament began we'd have probably said we'll score two goals in each of them maybe one goal against croatia but obviously as the tournament is as a flow you can't really take it like that and each team has their own kind of momentum at, at each stage regarding the the european tour as it were uh, yeah it was a fan, it was it was a great idea what was interesting was the fact that obviously the host nations picked you know tended to be nations who who were probably going to get further in the tournament or you know you would expect to do well in the tournament and what was actually interesting was i w- i was looking at the host stadiums before the before the tournament thinking okay this is going to be one of those tournaments where literally every single good team has home advantage they're all going to do well it's going to be you know a real clash of the titans as it as it comes down to the wire you know in the last few games and actually we saw three of i think it was three of the group stage winners of the six group winners went out in the round of 16 i think it was uh, or or quarterfinals any I, I so france it was round of 16 to switzerland that was probably sums up the whole tournament for me that game was when i think back on the summer it's the france versus switzerland game and how switzerland came back from 3-1 down with just 14 minutes to go and that that goal in the last kick of the game and then the mbappe penalty which loses it for france you know against all the odds and holland went out with their with their red card for delit and they went out to the Czech Republic and then Belgium, Italy, was a, you know, fantastic game. But but a lot of the teams couldn't really hack being, you know, they, they, they couldn't take advantage of the of the home matches in the way that we could. And I think that that stands out for me. OK, home advantage. Yeah, sure. But it's not a given when you think about it. It's not actually a given because Spain really struggled as well. Yeah, I, I, I probably agree with you. I, I wouldn't want to see it again as a tournament. I like the idea of having one host country or, you know, a couple of host countries like we had with Poland and Ukraine back in 2012. But, you know, they kind of had to try it and see how it goes. And it's just unfortunate that it coincided with the, you know, the, the COVID Euros. I, I probably wouldn't want to see that again. But it, yeah, it was in, it was interesting the way I, you know, I, I thought all of the host uh, countries would, would get a little bit further than they did. Yeah. I, you just brought it back to me there. Was it Spain who had like the, their home ground? Was that the one that was a, a was it in Seville? But it was the it wasn't either Seville's ground or Betis ground. It was it was a real strange ground that isn't used in regular. Because like, they originally moved it from Bilbao, I think, didn't Bilbao, they? Yeah. yeah, and they moved it to Seville. But and everyone, or it, perhaps myself. I thought it would either be at Betis or at Seville's ground. And it was at this strange running track ground that I'd never seen before. 
Uh, yeah, forgotten about that one. Dom? Um, I mean, I don't really have any specifics to, to mention, only when England prepare for a tournament, they, throughout the, the decades, it's always the question of, of, of could they, you know, could they just, and the answer has always been no, they couldn't because there are better teams and there are psychological barriers. But this time there weren't really, it, it wasn't really a could they, it was, it, it, it's now, it's from now on, it, it's kind of can they, because the answer is that they can, yes. You know, England didn't win the Euros, but I don't, there wasn't really any barrier in the way. I mean, if you look at it, in the at the end of the day, it came down to a penalty shootout, which was won by one team by one goal. And even then, you couldn't say that's because one team choked under pressure and the other one didn't, because both teams choked under pressure. You know, Bellotti missed a penalty and he's a striker. Jorginho is one of the best penalty takers in the world and he missed his penalty or he had his penalty saved. But, you know, we missed three penalties. They just didn't quite miss three. They missed two. They won the penalty shootout, and I'm happy to give them that because that's that's what happened. And they won the tournament. But you have to say, you know, in, in terms of ways to lose a final, that doesn't feel like defeat, really, does it? You go one nil up after two minutes and you lose on a penalty shootout by one penalty. I mean, that's, that's a single kick of a ball. England should not ever again wonder well, unless they have a, a dreadful generation of players, but I don't see why that would happen with the level of coaching relative to Europe that we've now got sustainably. England should never again wonder whether they can, whether they could or whether they can. The answer is they can, and the question is whether they will. And most of the times, they won't, because there'll be someone else, and it'll be different each time who it is. But, you know, for the long-term future of the England team, it's good, because it shows them that any barriers are passable and the question is not is not can they or or, or could they it's will they and, and and that's what we'll have to kind of watch from the sidelines and, and see the answer to yeah I mean it's I mean, when you break it down like that it, it really is fine margins isn't it I mean there's one goal in it from from 12 yards um and I, I thought about this the other day actually I mean the whole penalty shootout situation that the one thing I think, and it's been well documented before about Gareth Southgate and and perhaps how he should have looked at the the final, but I'm still I'm still frustrated by Rashford and Sancho only coming on with a minute, two minutes left of the game, with the the idea that it's going to go to penalties and and they would be taking one. Uh, well, whether they were ready for it mentally, whether they were in the game, I, I don't know. And, and I think the pair of them both done one of these really frustrating run-ups for a penalty that just drives me around the drives me around the bend. Okay, you like said, Jorginho can step up and do a hop, skip, and a jump, and nine times out of ten will score his. But it, I, I, the penalties there just really frustrated me and. Just hit it. Just hit it. If we're going to learn something, just hit it. Matt, go on. T- tell us some some Euro memories. Yeah, I mean, as I mentioned before, the um, this summer has been a summer I will never forget. And I do agree with what um, Dom said earlier that, about breaking barriers. I think England have broken another barrier this past summer by actually reaching a, 
major final. It seems to be a very natural progression and I'm not trying to get too ahead of myself, obviously. You know, they've got to final now. They know what heartbreak's like. Maybe now that was a learning experience for those players and then come, if they get go all the way in Qatar, then maybe go one better and lift that trophy. But yeah, it was just... It was not, I think, because as well, the climate that we're in has really helped. I mean, like in 2018, the England team brought everyone together. In the summer, the England team brought everyone together even more so, in the fact that, you know, we've been in lockdown for nearly a year and, you know, the Euros came along at the right time, just as everything was starting to open up. I mean, as I mentioned before, my highlight was going to an England game for the first time in God knows how many months. I think it was the same amongst a lot of us who follow England home and away. And, it was ju- it was just an amazing summer, and it really you know it's one I'm never going to forget. I mean, obviously, even just being able to go to a major final is something that was on my bucket list as just a football fan in general, and just to go and watch your country in that final, regardless of what happened, regardless of what's surrounding the day, and regardless of what happened, it was just a dream come true. So yeah, it was just a summer to remember. Obviously, it seems to, obviously. The matches after in those three international ones did peter off, but I think it's because they're all sort of come down from the Euros. Um, so it's just getting back to back to where usual matters with the qualifiers and things like that. But no, I think as Dom said before, this England team they brought everyone together and they have broke a few barriers. I mean, quite a lot of this players are going to be in that team now for quite a while. So you know, it's all great experience for them, and to do it and for some to do it at a young age as well. Um, you know, it'll only make them better in the future. I mean, obviously you mentioned there with the penalties and likes of Rashford and Saka and things like that. Obviously, I think, uh, you know, it's heat at the moment when it comes to penalties. And I think, you know, they were trying to phase out, you know, the crowd, all the pressure, things like that. That might be why the run-ups that time weren't great. But maybe, you know, in future big games, maybe they'll just simplify everything. So, end of the day, it was a great summer, a great link to all those players as well. I want to remember and, uh, Hopefully we can get a few more memories next year with the Nations League and also the World Cup. Yeah, let's hope so. We've all got sort of dreams for next year of of what could happen and and the potential for it. But we, we'd be going on forever, I think, if we were to uh, to go into next year. We'll we'll save that one for for another time. Um, but yeah, I've, I've some of that. Yeah, it was was great, Matt. It was sort of those memories of it finally happening um, of. Sort of that is that has been the year I think for for all of us. Anyone got any? I see we are running a bit out of time. Has anyone got any stats from the year they want to throw at us? I might have used I might have used all of mine up to be honest. Yeah. How many how many debutants did we have throughout the year? Do you know the answer to this? I do know the answer to this. I'll go with. Oh, I, I wouldn't say that many. I would say. Uh, Four. I'd go a little bit higher higher because I remember the pre-tournament friendlies. We had Godfrey White and Johnston all making their debut. So I'll probably probably go for seven. Go on, Matt. I'll go one more eight. You can have that if you can name them all. No, you are right. There were eight. Uh, and obviously, as Aidan said, there there was Ben Godfrey, there was Ben White in those two games. Sam Johnson's as well played up at Middlesbrough. Uh Ramsdale. Aaron Ramsdale. Ollie Watkins. Ollie Watkins, yes. Uh, Gallagher Smith Rowe. Yep. And Patrick Bamford. Oh, of course. Against Andorra. Yeah. Unfortunately, it didn't seem to work out for Patrick Bamford, did it? I mean, do we think he's got a uh, 
a chance. No, I don't think we'll get back in now. To be honest, no. I, I said I said last season when he was you know ripping up the Premier League and and boosting everyone's fantasy league points. I, I was saying I, I I don't see him being much more than a one season wonder. But I also it, wasn't. To be fair, he has had COVID and he's been injured, so he would have played a hell of a lot more football this year if those things weren't true. But overall, I agree, he's not England quality compared to other strikers. I mean, Watkins. If you compare the two of them, Watkins is a much better player. Thing about Watkins is though, I don't know if is he a centre forward going, you know, going forward. Is he, is he a central striker? I don't. I don't know because he used to be a winger when he was at Brentford a few years back. So yeah. I, I don't know whether he's going to be a striker for too much longer. I don't know if it might be a Mason Greenwood situation where he never quite makes it. He always sort of has spells up front, but then he always kind of gets demoted to the wing when someone better comes along. And I was almost fearful that Watkins would get pushed aside when Danny Ings came in. But it, it hasn't really happened. It, it's, it's good to see Watkins, you know, staking a claim and, and carrying on getting the goals because, you know, we, we need all the strikers we can get, you know, if anything were to happen to Harry Kane, we'd, we'd be looking at the next bunch of lads, and that's Tammy Abraham, Dominic Calvert-Lewin, and Watkins probably are your next three. Yeah, well, it's uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see. How, obviously, with regards to, to Bamford's, how Leeds really carry on in the second half of the season. Just just a quick one as well. Obviously, Harry Maguire became England's highest ever goal scoring defender ahead of um, Moore and um, uh, Terry joint. I think were they joint? Were they? Yeah, six. Uh, okay, I, I I had John Terry down here. I didn't realise he was he was joint with Maguire's uh, on seven now. Yeah, yeah, I believe yeah. so. Yeah, it's always good to have a uh, a goal scoring uh, defender like Slaphead <clears throat> coming up for a uh, for a corner. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I think actually six, uh, six of his seven England goals have come in the last or have come inside twelve months of each other. Have they? I think so. Yeah, or, or just a few days over because of. Uh, his second England goal was uh, the one in the friendly against Ireland last November. And then all the rest have come within 12 months of that or within 12 months and a few days, maybe. All this while he's having a, I think it's fair to say, being a, having a bit of a patchy time at United, I think. So. Yeah, who isn't? Well, there is that. I mean, it's good to say, good to see that throughout this year that maybe if teams, club teams haven't had the, the best of times, the England players from those well, teams have, have come together for the right time. That's to England's credit, to be fair, isn't it? Absolutely. And and to uh and to Gareth Southgate and, and his team that have that have guided them throughout <clears throat> the year. Um yeah. well I think we'll uh, we'll round it up at that. Guys, thank you very much, not just for, for this, but throughout the year for for being part of the Free Lions podcast and and sort of helping it along um, with your contributions. Yeah, thank you, and wish you very, uh, very best of Christmases. All the best for the new year, and and hopefully we can all, uh, all continue to speak in what will be a, a prosperous new year. Look forward yeah. to it. Yes, yeah, definitely, guys. Thank you very much. Thanks very much. Thank you. Cheers. Thank you. Thank you to the guys there. As I said, it has been great to have them on the show throughout the year, and I'm sure they will be back with me throughout 2022. You can find them all on social media, so just go, go on, give them a follow. Now, also, I'd like to thank you, the listener, for your support throughout the year, for the messages you've sent, or saying hello face-to-face. I couldn't ask for a better set of listeners. And some of you 
have been good enough to send in your highlights of the year too. Hello Russell, it's Gary here from Channel England Football on YouTube and what a year it's been. Yeah, I just wanted to share my thoughts because it's just been unbelievable, hasn't it? In all the years I've been following England, it's by far the best year ever. I thought I'd experienced that in 2018, but it just was, it surpassed it again this year. Of course, the big highlight has to be England reaching our first final in 55 years or whatever it is. You know, unbelievable. It, it is still tinged with that little bit of disappointment again that we couldn't go on and win. But it's, you know, I couldn't have wished for anything more. At the beginning of this year, if somebody said to me, you know, England going to make the final, I'd have bit their hand off, even if you decided we'd have lost it. But what a, what a brilliant year. If I was going to pick any particular moment, I would say it's probably Kane's uh, goal against Germany to make it 2-0, to put the game beyond them in the round of 16 at a, what sounded like a packed Wembley, uh, but it wasn't, you know, it was, it was only like half full or whatever it was because of COVID, but what a moment that was. It felt like, you know, it was happening again. It felt like 2018 again from the World Cup. It felt like this is going to be another England run and, and it went above and beyond my expectations and it really just got better and better from there. So let's hope we have many, many more years like this one, but what a year it's been. Hi, this is Garv Singvi from LA. It's a great podcast, Russell. I really love listening to it. Thanks so much for giving me the chance to contribute. I had plans to be in England for the Euros, but ultimately was not able to make it due to circumstances. The highlight for me was definitely the wonderful atmosphere surrounding the team and their performance over the summer. I could feel it even though I wasn't there. The exuberant outdoor viewing parties, the return of my favorite anthems, Football's Coming Home, Vindaloo, Southgate, You're the One, Sweet Caroline, and especially all the new versions uh, that they spawned. I also enjoyed watching the Lions then. It gave me a fascinating insight into the players' psyche and warm and engaging personalities. What a great group they are. Finally, the one that really sticks out is the huge send-off the players got when they left St. George's Park the day before the final. What an awesome sight that was to behold. Thanks and looking forward to an equally memorable 2022. Hi guys and girls, Steve Hopper here. Hope you're doing well. I hope you're enjoying Christmas so far and I hope you're all staying safe. My highlight of the year, well it has to be, doesn't it? Euro 2020 slash 2021, the entire tournament. Well, I guess I should probably be a little bit more specific. So in that case, I will go for England's win 2-0 over Germany in the second round of the Euros, the first time England beat Germany in a major competition since 1966. What an incredible experience that was. The match before it, post-match, the celebrations throughout London and England afterwards, the party just did not stop. I think I got back about five, six o'clock the next morning, something like that. It was magical. Um, And I certainly lost my voice for a few days afterwards. Uh, Just an incredible time. Something I'd always dreamt about, experiencing such a feeling in the country. And uh, we had that, of course, throughout the whole tournament. So exciting. I can't wait for next year. Of course, we've got the Euros in the summer with the women. And then we've got the Men's World Cup towards the end of the year in Qatar. It's going to be a special year. I can feel it. Have a very Merry Christmas, all of the listeners. 
and let's bring it home in 2022. See you soon. Hi, Russell. It's uh, Sam here from It's Coming Home TV. Yeah, what a uh, what a 2021 it has been for the three lines. You know, it didn't start off, you know, uh, great from a fan's point of view with the the first three games being behind closed doors um, for the World Cup qualifiers. But you know, three good results, nine points. That's all you can expect, really. Um, and then you know, we could be here all day talking about the summer, um, but it was a summer that will live long in the memory of all England fans. It's a shame it was, unfortunately, the final was spoiled by a few, uh, say, non-England fans, shall we say. But, you know, if you look at the uh, the Germany game, the, the Denmark game and everything else, you know, surrounding it, it was such a fantastic experience and, and something I'll always have fond memories to, to tell uh, my kid. You know, it was great to get back on the road and watch England away again um, in Andorra and San Marino. So let's hope for the same in uh, in 2022 with Germany and Italy and whoever we get in March as well. Roll on 2022. Thanks to Gary, Gurav, Sam and Steve there. Well, that's pretty much it for the show and for the year. And what a year it's been. As I've mentioned, I've got plenty to look forward to in 2022. And hopefully, with that, we'll couple them with the Nations League qualification, Euro victory for our women, and top it all off with a World Cup win 12 months from now. What an end-of-year review that would be. Thank you, as always, for your continued support. You can follow the show on social media. Just search Three Lions Podcast. It just leaves me to wish you a Merry Christmas, however you may be celebrating it, and wishing you a prosperous New Year. As always, take care of yourself. Stay safe. Cheers.